Please turn with me to Acts chapter 5, page 1100, if you lifted a Bible on the way in. Acts chapter 5. I'll be looking particularly tonight at verses 12 to 16, but in the context of uh, what happens afterwards with the apostles being arrested and then freed. All through our studies of Acts so far, we've been stopping to look at snapshots of the church. What can we learn? What should we copy? In chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, we have another snapshot of the early Christian church. Another moment where Luke pauses almost and gives us a picture of what's happening in the early church. Verse 12, the many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, what are we to make of this? Is this portrait a portrait of what we are to be as a church, so we've looked at the other snapshots, summaries of the life of the church in Acts. That's been our point. We're to be like them. Is this, as one writer says, a blueprint of what should happen in every generation until Jesus comes again? Or as another writer says, are we called to heal the sick in the same way that we are called to evangelize. Are we called to preach and to heal, just like we see the apostles doing in these verses? Should we as a church be looking to, in the words of our text, regularly do many signs and wonders? Should we as a church be bringing the sick and expecting them, in the words of our text, to all be healed. Some of you maybe heard about or read about the event at Bangor Elam Church last Sunday evening. It was on the front cover of Monday's Belfast Telegraph. There were billboards up in Belfast declaring, Rejoice with Josh. Last week, a thousand people gathered to hear how 14 year old Joshua Martin, uh, as he spoke about how God healed him of a rare and aggressive form of cancer. What do we make of this? How should we respond to that? A few years ago, a friend's fiance, whom mum and dad were meeting for the first time, offered to pray with mum for her healing. And mum let him pray with her. What do we do with that? What do we make of it? How do we respond? I want to think tonight about miracles and healings. What are we to think of them? What is the role in the witness of the church? We want to be a church like we see in the New Testament. So what is the role of signs and wonders and miracles? At the start, we need to define what we're talking about so that we're all on the same page. So I want to begin with a definition of what is a miracle. 
Here's one definition of a miracle. A miracle is a work of God in the physical realm that is uncommon to human experience and unexplainable in terms of physical secondary agents. I'll put it more simple language, perhaps. A miracle is an act of God in our world that's not normal in our experience and not explainable by normal causes. So, for example, someone who was severely crippled in a car accident and told that they would never walk again, but after months and even years of rehabilitation and physiotherapy takes steps again well that's not a miracle as we're defining it tonight as we're thinking particularly tonight it's wonderful it's truly wonderful it's a gracious answer to prayer that you rejoice in but God has used means to bring that about he's used the wisdom and the experience and the knowledge he's given the physiotherapists and the doctors. So that's not a miracle, as we're thinking particularly tonight. We might feel like it's miraculous. It might be wonderful. It might make us rejoice. We don't take away from that at all. But it's not a miracle as we're thinking tonight particularly. On the other hand, someone who's been told they have an untreatable terminal cancer and who before they've had any treatment has uh, their next checkup or another consultation, and there's no trace of the cancer at that next consultation, well then that's a miracle. There's no explainable normal cause. There's no secondary agent involved that you can say that's what has brought it about. A miracle is an act of God in this world. It's not normal in our experience, and not explainable by normal causes. And by that definition, narrowing it down in that way, I don't think there's many of us here tonight would have a problem acknowledging miracles and healings that they do happen. Maybe some of you can look back to or know of times when God has intervened. Recoveries that just aren't explainable by normal circumstances. Circumstances where doctors are confused and astounded by what has happened. Some of you know uh, Flo Smith from our American church, the wife of Ken Smith, the pastor, who's been here several times. As far as I know, Flo uh, was sent home over 30 years ago to die with cancer. 30 years later, Flo is alive and well with no trace of cancer. And the the story that we heard this week in the news in Josh's case it seems to be the case as well. It seems to be there's no explainable cause for why the cancer's gone from his body and we rejoice in that. Sometimes we might not know the difference between unexpectedly successful treatment and divine intervention. Treatment that seems unlikely and that might not produce much good might actually help. Other times it might be God at work. It's not always clear and easily defined. But we readily admit and we rejoice in a mighty God who can and who does intervene in our lives. A God of almighty power, 
a God who can work miracles. But the dividing issue is this. There are some who claim the ability to do miracles for God. The ability to perform healings on God's behalf. To have the gift of healing or miracles. By laying hands on people, by praying, and people are healed. And they claim to be the healer. To have God's power and authority to heal delegated to them. And I trust you can see there's a difference, isn't there, between that, saying you have a gift of healing and that you're able to heal, and on the other hand, praying for someone to be healed and leaving it in the Lord's hands. And one, you're asking God to act, and the other, you're saying God acts through you. Or in the words of our text uh, tonight in verse 12, signs and wonders done by the hands of the apostles. Not just that the apostles were praying, they were working miracles, they were healing people. The gift of healing. Probably the most famous example of someone making this claim is Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, not Benny Hill, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn describes himself as a healing evangelist. These are his own words about himself. The channel the Holy Spirit anoints and uses to bring God's healing power and presence to the hurting and the spiritually hungry. You see the words he's using? The channel the Holy Spirit anoints and uses. He claims to have healed thousands at every miracle service that he hosts. He speaks of people rising from wheelchairs, leaving their crutches behind, blind eyes and deaf ears being opened. This is a testimony lifted from his website of a service in San Francisco in the last few years. A man with liver cancer and HIV positive came forward to testify of God's healing touch in his body. As Pastor Benny laid hands on the man and prayed for him, the man fell under the power of God. Moments later, he got up rejoicing, declaring that all his pain was gone. Laying hands on. He's healed all his pain, is gone. So how do we evaluate this? Well, there's much that could be said, but I want to make three short points. I want to compare this gift of miracles that, we, that people like Benny Hinn claim with the healings and the miracles that we see in the New Testament. Three short points. First one is this. The New Testament healings were not dependent on faith. They weren't dependent on faith. You read the New Testament, healings and miracles, and the vast majority of them, there's no mention at all of the faith of recipients. It's just not mentioned. There are a few cases where Jesus responds to the faith of the recipients or commends the faith of the recipients, but in the majority, there's no mention of their faith. In fact, so much so that there's too many examples for me to list. Just think of a miracle and chances are there's no mention in the text of faith being exercised by the person who received the miracle. Probably the greatest example was Lazarus. He was dead. He's not exercising faith, and yet he receives the miracle. New Testament healings were not dependent on faith. And yet, 
For many who are claiming the gift of healing today, the faith of the recipient is key. Listen to Benny Hinn. Faith is vital to your miracle. Healing is received by faith, and healing is kept by faith. Faith is vital to the miracle. It takes aggressive faith to bring salvation from that sickness. It takes faith to be healed. So if you haven't faith, you won't be healed. That's not what we see in the New Testament at all. New Testament healings were not dependent on faith. Second point I want to highlight. The New Testament healings were completely successful. The healings of Jesus and the apostles, they never failed. Matthew 14, verse 36. As many as touched the fringe of Jesus' garment were made well. As many as touched it, made well. Completely successful. Our own text tonight, Acts 5, verse 16. And they were all healed. Completely successful. Again, pick any New Testament miracle. Look at it. Completely successful. Let's consider Benny Hinn again. Just one example. In his 2001 crusade, William Vanden Kolk was nine years old. He was at the crusade. He damaged vision and he claimed that his eyesight had been restored. William Vanden Kolk is now 17 and he's still legally blind. Not a completely successful healing, is it? The boy's still blind. That's one example. Benny Hinn himself, his father died of cancer. His mother has diabetes. And Benny Hinn has a heart problem and has had a heart problem for 20 years. Not very successful as a healer. And yet we see the New Testament healings completely successful. You see the contrast. Another healer, Morris Corello, was challenged to give a list of his best miracles. Give us your best ones. Give a list of nine. Six of the nine people agreed to speak. None of them could could give clear evidence of miraculous healing. One person claimed to have his hay fever cured. But at the time he was asked, the pollen count was down. And the next year he was back on his medication. Is that a completely successful healing? Now these are just picking bits and pieces out. But do you see the contrast? New Testament healings were completely successful. New Testament healings, thirdly, were undeniable. Think back to Acts 4, verse 16, which we looked at a few weeks ago. The man was standing in their midst. He'd never stood before. The the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were looking at this one. We can't deny that a tremendous miracle has happened. Undeniable. Benny Hinn provided his three best documented cases to the Christian Research Institute in the United States. He provided his three best. Here's their finding. All three cases are poorly documented and confused. If evidence like this is the best Hinn can muster after years of miracle rallies, with staff working at each rally to document cases of healing, then there is no credible evidence he has ever been involved in a bona fide healing. 
It's three best cases. Poorly documented and confused. Catherine Coleman had or has the reputation of being their most outstanding healer. She was asked by a doctor for people she'd healed of cancer. She could only give eight examples. These people were followed up. Only one would agree to speak to the researchers. He no longer had cancer, but he'd also been given a lot of treatment for his cancer. New Testament healings were undeniable. Why are, we, why are we looking at this? Well, it's not because I'm particularly worried about any of you going to a Benny Hinn campaign. You know, take a look at the website. It's just, at face value, it's ridiculous. But it is good to expose these frauds. They are deceiving millions. I mean millions. See how many people follow them on Twitter and Facebook. They are earning millions. So they need to be exposed. But for our purposes here tonight in Clock Mills, I want us most of all to understand the nature of the miracles in the New Testament. This is what they were like. They're not dependent on faith. They were completely successful. They were undeniable. No one stood up and said, oh, my pain's gone. The lame stood up. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. The dead were raised and walked around. (laughs) Friends, those are miracles, aren't they? Undeniable miracles. Successful miracles. And so if someone today had the gift of healing, those are the things that we would see. The lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised. If someone had the gift of miracles, that's what we would see. But what about the place of miracles today then? What about the place of miracles today? If we're saying that People don't have this gift of healing anymore. That The healings that are proclaimed today are so totally different from what we see in the New Testament. But, but yet, at the same time, as we said at the start, we do believe miracles still happen. That God can intervene unexpectedly and do wonderful things. So what, what, what are the place of miracles then? Where should they fit in our work? Are they, as we said, as we quoted at the beginning, a blueprint of what should happen in every generation until Jesus comes? Are we called to heal the sick in the same way that we're called to evangelize, we're to preach and we're to heal? This is an issue that we are likely to meet. It is an issue that we face. It's not that it's wrong to pray for miracles, but is healing the same priority as evangelism, as witness? Should we be, as a church, be out knocking on the doors of the village and offering people that will pray for them so that they can be healed? Is this portrait in Acts chapter 5 to be copied by us? What's the place of miracles? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand that miracles, they weren't even common in the Bible. If you look at the miracles, most of them happen in three clusters. And these clusters are less than 100 years long. The three clusters are at the time of Moses and Joshua, the time of Elijah and Elisha, and the time of Jesus and the apostles. And the bulk of miracles in the Bible happen in those three clusters 
The Bible story covers a minimum of 2,000 years. And here we have the miracles concentrated into at most 300. It's a small proportion. And each of these three periods is significant. Moses and Joshua, the giving of the law, the shaping of God's people by the law, Elisha and Elijah, the start of the prophetic era. Typical of the prophets, they're the the great types of the prophets, Elijah the prophet, Jesus and the apostles, the writers of the New Testament. You see these three clusters, these three periods, they're times of God revealing his message, time of God speaking, time of God communicating his message. God gave miracles to authenticate his message and his messengers. To authenticate his message and his messengers. Listen to what's said of Moses in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. The prophet Moses, signs and wonders. Exodus 4, verses 1 to 5, God commissioning Moses to to go and rescue the people. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it in the ground. He threw it in the ground. It became a serpent. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he did so. And then here's the key. Do this, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Moses is worried about going into Egypt. And the, the, the Hebrews saying to him, well, who are you? He's given signs, miracles to authenticate that he's God's messenger. Elijah, 1 Kings 18 verse 36, he's on Mount Carmel. He's got the offering ready to go. At the time of the offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God, in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. And the Lord sends down fire. Let it be known that I am your servant, authenticating the messenger, authenticating the prophet. Jesus, in Acts 2, and verse 20, words that we've already considered, Peter preaching about Jesus. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Why mighty works and wonders and signs? To attest the messenger. To authenticate the messenger and his message. Last reference to look at. The apostles. Hebrews 2 and verse 4. Speaking of the great salvation God has given God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. God 
bore witness by signs and wonders to the message of the apostles. God authenticated the apostles as his messengers. God authenticated his message to Moses, to the prophets, to the apostles, those who would write God's word. The signs, the miracles authenticated the message and the messenger. We're still messengers with a message today, but in a different sense. These people were the writers of God's word. God communicated directly with them. Their message was unique, and the signs and the miracles were to show that they were unique and that it was God speaking. There's also indications that even miracles and the gift of healing seems to decrease throughout the New Testament. Late on in Paul's life, one of the last letters that Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy's not well and Paul doesn't say, well, I'll come and lay my hands on you, but he says, take a little wine for your illnesses. He says as well that he left Trophimus at Corinth because he was ill. Paul didn't heal Trophimus, he left him behind at Corinth. And so it seems that the gift of healing was decreasing through the New Testament. And so signs and miracles, they were to authenticate the writers of God's word. They were to authenticate the message. And that time has passed. God's word is written. God's word is complete. The gift of healing has ceased because it served its purpose. The prominence of signs and miracles has decreased. It's not to say they, they, they can't happen. They're just not as prominent as we see in Acts chapter 5. Because this was a time when God's messengers needed to be authenticated. And the miracles and the signs aren't the focus. The message is the focus. The message is the focus. We see this even within this chapter that we've read tonight. The miracles cause a stir in Jerusalem, and yet right throughout the whole chapter, the emphasis is on the speaking and the teaching. Look at the passage, verse 20, and the angel sets them free. But they're not set free to do miracles. They're set free to speak to the people the words of this life. You see how important speaking the gospel is? God sends an angel to miraculously set the apostles free to speak and to teach Verse 21 and 25 emphasizes that they were teaching in the temple. Verse 27, the the rulers are in a murderous rage. And what's at the root of it? It's not the miracles. It's that they filled Jerusalem with their teaching, with this message. In verse 42, when they're released, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The miracles serve the teaching. It's the teaching, the message that's primary. We might long for days of great displays of God's power. Then people would believe if God would just work a few miracles. Then people would believe. Friends, miracles don't guarantee belief. Miracles don't save. Miracles are not the power of God for salvation. Think of these rulers as we said this morning. They'd witnessed the healing of a lame man. They'd witnessed the miraculous escape from prison. They'd witnessed the resurrection of someone who was dead. And they still don't believe. Miracles will not convince. Peter, when he's confronted by the high priest, 
in chapter 5. He doesn't click his fingers and work a miracle to convince the high priest. He declares the message in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed. God exalted him as right, at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. The message is the focus. So what, what does all this mean then? How does it impact us? Well, friends, in, in a time of crisis and difficulty and particularly illness, it is okay to pray for a miracle. We have a God who can work miracles. And we should pray for miracles. But we need to pray like Christ prayed. Not my will, but your will be done. Because if we focus too much on miracles and healing in the here and now, what, what's the result of that? It skews our perspective. It skews our perspective from heaven to the here and now. And we focus too much on the here and now. And we forget that our ultimate hope, it's not in health and wholeness and wellness here. Our ultimate hope is the perfect glory of heaven. That's our home, our resting place. You see, God always heals the illnesses of his people. He always does. I can happily stand here tonight and say, God always heals his people. Sometimes he does it in this life. And if he doesn't, as soon as we enter eternity, we know full and perfect healing. And that's what we'll be singing about in Psalm 103 at the end. He heals all our illnesses. So we can't get too hung up on the now. And what if God doesn't heal? Where does that leave us? I heard a woman in, in my study for this sermon was listening to different things. I heard a woman speaking about claiming God's promises for her son. Psalm 118. I shall not die but live. And her son had, had been healed and her son lives. I can think of a lot of people that, well, what did God do with this promise for them? I shall not die but live. If we get a perspective wrong, it makes it seem like God's promises are null and void. His promises aren't null and void. God has a better fulfillment of that. I shall not die but live. I shall live eternally. Death will be defeated. So as we finish, friends, we need to understand that miracles have their place. But the message we have, the gospel we have, it's above it. It's above the miracles. The message we have is the best we can give anybody. Miracles are not what people need. Jesus said in Luke 16, 31, If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, if they will not hear the message, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's the message that's key. Someone did rise from the dead and still they didn't listen to him. It's the message, the teaching that Peter explains for us so clearly in chapter 5. That Jesus was raised and exalted as saviour and leader to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is the message that transforms. It's not the signs and wonders. It's this message. Romans 1.17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the message, the teaching. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And that's why the disciples and why we should not cease in the church from house to house teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. He is, verse 2. He is the one who does forgive all your iniquities. And as for all your diseases, he is the one who heals. God is the great healer. Sometimes he gives that healing in this life. He always gives it in eternity. That's where we set our hope and our home. Eternity. Let's stand to sing verses 1 to 5. Father, we thank you that what you give us is so much better than just hope for this life and health in this life. 
We thank you that you're the one who heals all of our illnesses and who forgives all of our iniquities. Lord, we do long to see you do wonderful things, but we pray that you give us the right heart, the right attitude that sees heaven as our home, that doesn't put too much hope in the here and now. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful message that for our loved ones whom you haven't healed but have taken to yourself, that they are now perfectly healed. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel, that there is full final healing and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Lord, we pray that our hope would be in that and that that message would be our focus and that it would be the thing that we would not cease teaching and preaching, that Jesus is the Christ. For we ask it for his glory and in his name. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.